You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we're going to hear about six top selling wines thanks to our resident wine guru Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. If you have lunchtime fatigue already, and I certainly have, public health and clinical nutritionist Neve Arthurs from Bea Bites is going to inspire us and if you need a few days away this weekend then the kingdom is the place to be with the Dingle Food Festival taking place and the Blossnairn Irish Food Awards are celebrating 10 years. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here on the show, you can drop me an email to s.nunan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So my first guest tonight comes armed with bottles of vino for us to discuss and maybe try later after the show. It's Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, it's great to see you. Thanks, Sharon. I was talking about wine with somebody last week or there was some mention about wine and I said, I must get Ron back in for a bit of a catch up. It seems like a long time since you were here, but it's probably not really that long. Um, And tonight you're going to talk about six wines that they're your top sellers. Yes, but I thought as trends change and wine purchasing changes for people, um, we were having a look at this last week over what was selling them up compared to this year, compared to last year. And it's changed quite a lot, actually. So people are moving on, uh, they're trying different grape varieties and it's interesting, it's very interesting. You have a couple of familiar bottles here, so the first yeah. one is the Pinot Grigio and I actually was thinking about Pinot Grigio recently. Does it only come from Italy or do other countries no, produce uh, it? No, uh, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris is the grape variety itself, Pinot Grigio is the, the Italian um, variation of that, uh, but Pinot Grigio, you can, you can buy Pinot Grigio from Argentina, um, from Chile, um, I've we've Got some from um, um, Australia before. They tend to call it Pinot Gris, not Pinot Grigio. Um, and that's it. Wherever you can grow it, particularly. But the problem for the rest of the countries is that it ends up being quite an expensive grape to grow, whereas in Italy it's fairly reasonable because it's huge quantities of it grown. Um, so the Italian Pinot Grigio tends to be much better value for money. And it would automatically be associated with Italy then. Absolutely. And good value. Good value, yes. yeah. Mm. And I always say that to people... Because we'd often have restaurant customers who were saying Pinot Grigio sells so well and we have a Pinot Grigio as a pouring wine. Why don't we put on something, a Pinot Grigio above that, you know, that, that's maybe 28 or 30 euros. And the funny thing, it's, it's a very different product. Um, the more um, like into the reserve, uh, if you like, uh, Pinot Grigios become much more full bodied um, and not at all like what people are used to, which is a dry uh, very clean, very easy drinking. They become much more complex, which is not what people really want. And people are not going to spend money on Pinot Grigio. They'll just buy a bottle either in the shop for eight, nine or ten euros or in a restaurant they'll have it for like 18, 20, 22 euros. So it's a great summer wine, I think. I would associate it with summer. Mm. goes great with Italian cuisine, your pastas yeah, and absolutely. your pizzas. But it is a good drink to have by itself. It's a, no it's a, food. Yeah, it's a reasonably good drink. It is dry, you know, which will build up in you after a while. It's 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 designed for food. It's not really designed to drink on its own. Um, we've got over that, uh, and people drink it on its own in pubs. A huge amount of Pinot Grigio. It's remarkable. Uh, the reason I bought this one is because, and this is has broken into the top six sellers that I bought here tonight. It has broken into it because we were we were reluctant to take it in originally uh, last year because it had a cork that hadn't didn't have a screw cap. But if anything, that's been an absolute selling point on it. 
that it's gone back to Cork uh, and not a screw cap. And restaurants like that because it's a bit of um, theatre with it and it's mm. just a bit more traditional. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you now. I know now that we've we've talked about this a lot before on the show about the the advantages of mm. cork versus screw cap. And, you know, there's no issues with the quality of the wine if it's got the screw cap. But there definitely is something to be said about ordering your bottle of wine, the sommelier coming yeah. over or the server coming over with it and putting the corkscrew or showing you the bottle and putting mm. the corkscrew or doing all that yeah, with absolutely. it and opening it as opposed to showing it to you and then turning the top of it. I mean, you know, very snobby thing, I suppose, uh, but it just adds to the whole I think say, the theatre and the drama of the of the meal. And it, and I think the rest, some of the restaurants are really getting back into that as well, where you know, they are, you'll notice that, and I've always pushed for this when I'm talking to restaurants who are trying to improve their sales of, of wine or trying to sell more than house wine they were selling a lot of house wine they want to move up the bracket and I always think somebody needs to be dedicated to doing it that's the key if you have six restaurant staff in a, in a restaurant at night and you're expecting them to serve food and drink and open bottles of wine it becomes too complicated and something loses out and the food never loses out because they have a chef standing in the kitchen who's who shouts them every time they walk in the door that it's ready or it's not whereas I think the wine loses out people don't get it in time They it's not cold enough maybe you know they just don't have that time nor the interest really to do it whereas if you, if you uh, assign someone to the job they get much more interested and they love corks because it gives them that 30 45 seconds to talk to somebody while they're doing it you know where they have a little chat little interaction besides opening the bottle clicking the cork the screw cap on it and dropping it on the table to get that half a minute just to say something and i think it's great i love it it's great yeah you're absolutely right about the interaction mm. then if it's appropriate i suppose sometimes people are there they don't want to interact with the staff if they're having an oil barney mm. or something like that but it, to to be talking to somebody who's knowledgeable about it and you know to be bringing over and saying oh you've made a great choice here this is a lovely wine to tell mm. them a bit about it and i think it all adds to the the service the experience it's something that the diner will go home and remember absolutely. they'll talk about it yeah. with their friends and family and before you know it it's really has improved your business and increased your your booking you know yourself even if, if you go to a pub and you you go up and get your gin and tonic and the guy behind the bar says what gin do you want what tonic do you want you know and and would you like cucumber and whatever the case may be you remember that conversation you remember that that happened mm-hmm. um because you think god he's interested and he wants to sell one and i guarantee you've bought one you hadn't planned on buying by the time you've left um which is the whole idea is that and it's not so much to make more money out of it it's because he wants you to go home and or she wants you to go home and think god yeah that was good that place was good you know that was it was interesting and i did something i wouldn't have normally done i bought a bottle of wine i wouldn't normally have bought but it was really really nice and you made the point there about people coming in and them not getting the wine quick enough. And that's a real oh, bugbear yeah, of mine. It's such a lost opportunity for restaurants. As soon as I am in the door and settled, I want a drink in front of me. It doesn't have to be the wine. It might be a pre-dinner drink like the gin and mm. tonic you're talking about. But it's money in the till for them. And I just don't understand why restaurants don't get that. And it's not the first thing that they train their staff to do. Oh, it's, listen, sure. It's... um. And and what I've always tried to say to them in, in, in when you're pretty the owners who are you know my owners are mad for for people to do that, but it's the practicalities of doing it is the problem. That if you have um, somebody working on a table, maybe have five or six tables, somebody arrives in, a group of four, or a group of six arrive in, and deep down, a drink is really going to kill them. Now it's going to take a lot of time. 
kind of stand up take the order go to a bar get it or barman to get it bring it back probably losing six or seven minutes there of key time where they have a lot of other stuff to do and that's the reality that's the practicalities of, of doing it whereas if you have somebody dedicated they're not worried I worked as a wine waiter 20 odd years ago in a place in Cork in Clifford's in Cork and uh, I wasn't allowed to touch a plate ever ever if I ever touched a plate or carried it up into the kitchen he'd stop me drop it get out I wasn't supposed to be in the kitchen there was nothing to do with me um, and my whole purpose was to get people drinking as much as they could yeah I think there needs to be more of that now in restaurants and it's not like we're trying to push drink on top of people it's because customers really like it as well it's not that they're going to drink an awful lot but you know how you are particularly if you're in a group of four or six and particularly if you don't know people that well or if you're out just to get something it might be a drink at all it could be anything it could be a sparkling water it doesn't matter it's just it's it's that bit of comfort you mm-hmm. have by having something to that you don't feel like you have to talk constantly for the first 15 minutes you've been there that you actually have something. I think it's a huge advantage. Yeah, and if there is a cocktail list, then that's, that generates a bit of sparks, yeah. a bit of conversation between people that aren't maybe haven't been out with each other before as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So this is, you recommend this? Yeah, this is from uh, San Osvaldo, uh, Pinot Grigio, um, and a great, great value. Not expensive at all, but a, a really, really nice Pinot Grigio. That's Pinot Grigio, it goes. Okay. I'll run through the rest of them. Then. Okay, cool. So then we have, uh, on whites as well, we have um, a Louis Eschenauer Sauvignon Blanc uh, from the Languedoc in the south of France. Uh, used a lot as a pouring wine or as a house wine, but a very, very nice product. Um, like, I, as you notice, there's no Chilean product here um, because there's a slight move away from Chilean wine and France has really picked up all the, the availability in that because they got very smart and they're doing it very well now. And... Uh, a lot of restaurants want to have a pouring French product. Like they want to have a pouring glass of Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, something like that, Pinot Noir, and they like it to be French. Really? It's just, it's, it gives them a point of difference. They don't want it to be in a shop. They want it to be a restaurant-only product, and it's great. It's great for me because that suits, that suits my business. So is there a perception then that a French wine is better quality than a South American wine? I think a lot of it is that they're more unique a bit. They tend to be a bit more um, food-driven um, products, particularly Sauvignon Blanc from uh, from France. They're a bit more acidic. They're not as, as full fruity as some of the South American ones tend to be. And it's just a, you know, it's, look at the reality of it. That the, the France, it's a, the wine arrives within six or seven days. It's not shipped in a container for eight weeks. It has all the best advantages to get to Ireland. It's coming from France. So, and it makes perfect sense. And that's particularly Louis our small enough producer, uh, only deals with us in Ireland and is absolutely delighted with the business. I mean, absolutely delighted with the business. And what would you pair this with, ideally? Works very well with anything with cream, butter, um, oils, like salads with a, with a, a dressing, um, butter with crab claws, anything at all that you need something clean and nice to give it a bit of a cut. It's perfect. Okay, great. And what you're moving on, on to reds now. And reds, the things have changed an awful lot in reds. And uh, in the last couple of years, Malbec is just phenomenal. It's, it's Malbec has, has uh, grown month on month this year. Uh, it's remarkable. We are carrying about eight Malbecs at the moment. This is one called Lunaris um, from San Juan in Argentina, uh, made by Calia. Um, we have this in a couple of different uh, uh, wines within this brand, but this is one of them called Lunaris. And uh, they're smashing products. Um, they're not everybody's taste, but they're but the people who are drinking them are drinking quite a lot of them because the, the volume is there. Um and they're uh, red meat, full body dishes, that's what they're for. 
Um, but people are drinking a glass of it as they sit down as well, which is, I thought was always pretty hard to do because it's really robust and full-bodied, but um, it's it's working very well. In terms of temperature for the red wine, is it very important to bring it to room temperature and let it breathe? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And room temperature being around 18 or 19 degrees, not too warm now. Uh, breathe is, 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 yes, it breathes very well in glasses. Um, so if you pour it into a glass, it'll breathe much, much quicker than it is sitting in a bottle. Um, but it's best to to swirl it around, give it a chance to get to get uh, open up, really the flavours are in it. But really, unless you're spending a lot of money, unless you're spending the, you know, the 30 plus euros, um, I, these wines are dry, are designed to be drank pretty quickly. So they would, I wouldn't leave them sitting around looking at them, as you better just. And you were saying there about it going with steaks and, you mm. know, the red meat. Um, and we're talking about Pinot Grigio being associated with Italy, I would very much associate Malbec with Argentina mm. in particular. It just seems to have the reputation for having very mm. good Malbecs. It does, yeah, but again, it's a French origin uh, grape variety uh, from the south of France um, and Italy. It's in the, the in a number of places in Italy as well, but it, it was taken to, to Argentina, to South America, and just absolutely flourished. It Actually, the, the climate and the, the soil and everything really suits um Malbec in Argentina better than it does in France. And interesting then that people are drinking it without food. Oh, they have to be. For the amount of it we're selling, they just have to be mm-hmm. because there's no other way there's that much of it being sold. Like there's bars buying it and, and, and selling it by the glass and people are not eating in those. You know, it just couldn't be. Okay. So, And you have another red then. Another red, this is a Cotomere. This is a Rioja, um, Crianza, and it just shows you when people start to grow a little bit more, maybe spend a little bit more money, they're coming back to the wines they would have they would have been used to before, which is um, Rioja, Spanish, um, full-bodied reds, um, just a lovely drink, and not that expensive, not overly expensive, but and it, a good bit beyond house wine now, but they're up in the 30, 32 euro bracket on a wine list. If you're not going out that often and you're going out, you know, you know, every maybe once a month or every six weeks of that that you maybe you just think yeah, I'm going to have something nice. Um, you know, and, and that's where these wines I think are winning out. And third one, then, this was a little, it's like between house wine and these higher ones. Uh, it's Primitivo, very, very south of Italy. Um, it's a Zinfandel grape, really, but it's a Primitivo, it's called in the south of Italy. And uh, these are smashed, not as full bodied as the other two reds, but a really, really delicate red drink uh, slightly dry goes very well with food but I, I think it's a smashing product that's a really really nice bottle of wine and people remember it and I know all the restaurants that are using it have been with this for years and will not change will just not change and I've gone through three different branding like marketing brands of it at this stage um, from people and no one's ever said anything about it they've just said it's fine as long as the wine is the same it doesn't matter about what the label looks and what is the attraction of it it's just great value for money like if you take that it's on a restaurant list for 22 or 23 euros and i think it would easily it should be up around the 28 or 29 bracket it's as good as anything else that's up at that level out of the reds there the three reds that are there which one is your personal favorite the Primitivo. really absolutely yeah every time interesting and then i bought a sparkling because sparkling is important and this is prosecco it's a sister wine of the pinot grigio uh from osaldo this is a full sparkling because as things are improving slightly again People are going back to the better Prosecco as well, which is the full cork, not the screw caps, full pop-off cork, uh, full bubble. Um, and this with this product is only in since the beginning of the year and it's going really well again. But it's got quite good value. It's not as expensive as a lot of the other big branded ones. 
The shift to Prosecco in the past couple of years is really quite staggering, isn't it? It is. Like we had a company uh, did a presentation last week to us on um, on draft Prosecco because it's big now. It's it's there's a number of companies doing it. Um, I, I I I just don't get it. But I don't get I the whole thing just is a bit mechanical to me. It's a bit you know it's a bit too much equipment involved in getting it from into a glass. I just rather a bottle. <laughs> But if you go um, to any of these food festivals or events mm, or racing or anything, there is a Prosecco bar there somewhere, whether yes, it is yeah. the bottles. And sometimes you see, I suppose, the glass bottles, you're not allowed to have those course, in yeah. certain places. So mm. this draft concept is probably, but then you're getting them in those plastic disposable Prosecco yeah, or those snipes. Kind of things. And sure, there's only, there's about three sips. And <laughs> it's about 200 mil in them, actually. They just look much more. <laughs> they, don't, they don't look like they last, you know. It's like you have to bring half a dozen of them clutched <laughs> between your yeah. two hands to kind of get that's you true. through the next few hours. It's true. The thing about Prosecco is that it's so easy to drink. Mm, too and easy to drink, That's where the, yeah. the issue, if, you know, that's where the people say, and it, it's, you know, it's, I see it, I see it in a particular place in Limerick that buys uh, this Prosecco office. And he says that that it's just he could have four people sit down. I hate says it's predominantly would be women that would sit down and do that. But he said they could easily drink two or three bottles of prosecco within like an hour, because it's so cold and it's it's easy to drink and it's every time a bottle is opened it's spread out between four people. You know it all seems very. Um, um, and he said like it's great, um, but it's just a lot of liquor. It's a lot of. But it is lower in alcohol. Slightly, yeah. Yeah, but I find it it it, it like definitely. Prosecco would not affect me oh, the same way as wine does. Yeah, yeah, it's lower by a percenter and a half but or that two. That makes all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. In fairness, I think it. it I think it's fine at night. I, I think it's the ones during the day are the are the ones. You know, where it's earlier in the in the day it tends to be the ones that get home a bit quicker. Well, before we let you go tonight, we must just mention that Christmas is coming, and yes, um, it's yeah. never too soon to start thinking about stocking up for Christmas. So that's something that we'll definitely have to look at. In oh, the absolutely, next month I think Christmas is huge, and we had a great Christmas last year. A great Christmas on packaging and gifts last year, because uh, we we were involved in the in the hamper business for a while, which we was very complicated, very awkward. And for the last three years, we've just done some really nice wooden boxes and timber boxes with wine in them. And they've been very, very well received um, because hampers, you end up getting a lot of stuff that you just don't know what to do with. Whereas these are much more straightforward. Um, and we have spirits and everything this year to go into them as well, like nice gins and stuff. Fantastic. Well, you have to tell us a bit more Absolutely. about that next yeah, month when you're in. And in the meantime, thanks a million for telling us about those no six wines tonight and the Prosecco. All the details are on your website, forestal.ie. Yes. Thanks very much, Aaron. Thanks, Ron. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Ron Forrestal had details about his six top selling wines. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch up on that interview on The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And now it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital 
food and drink magazine. So still to come tonight, Mark Murphy from the Dingle Cookery School will be on the phone to tell us about the exciting programme of events taking place this weekend for the 11th Dingle Food Festival. But before that, it's Neve Arthurs. Neve is a public health and clinical nutritionist and she's going to give us lots of inspiration to jazz up those lunch boxes. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Neve, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Hi Sharon, thank you very much and hello to everyone listening. You are going to give us such inspiration tonight because here we are, it's nearly the end of September. We are back at school for a month now and already we're finding it tough going with the school lunchboxes. But you have some great tips for us. Yeah, I think autumn is a really, really good time for change. Autumn is supposed to be the season for change so hopefully maybe if we if there is some room for creating healthier habits then now's the time to get back on a good start especially when maybe um we've got a new routine or establishing back into routine after a nice long summer break and as humans you know we are creatures of habit which can be good if they're good habits but sometimes we might need to tweak a few of the not so good habits to in order to create the healthier ones And on average, it takes about three weeks to two months to actually create and maintain a habit. So what I would advise if you are trying something new, maybe in the lunch boxes or or even parents or people listening, going to work yourselves, don't just try it once and say, no, it's not working. Or don't just try it for a day here and there and say, no, it's not working. You really have to be motivated, stick at it and give it a give it a good go, you know, and then you really know if it's. If you, you know, then you will start doing it more naturally and it will become a habit. You see, it's very challenging with children whenever you're putting something in the lunchbox and it's repeatedly coming home that night. And it's a whole, there's a whole food waste issue there. And if you're on a tight budget, you know, some people just don't have the money to take the risk of putting something new or different in the in the lunchbox. that's going to be rejected every day. Absolutely. I understand that. And I work with families a lot. So I understand that that is a concern for parents when it comes to trying new foods and especially in the lunch boxes. What I would recommend is maybe using the evening times and the weekends to trial and taste various foods rather than in school when they may be, you know, might be quite frightening if they open the lunch box and they suddenly see a new food for the first time and it's something green or something squishy or you know, they're not used to the different textures or the appearance of these foods. So perhaps get into trying and tasting things at home first. And then maybe once you know that they do like them, that's when they can start appearing in the lunchbox and trying to do them in fun ways so that it appeals to them. Children love a bit of fun. You know, if they have a face maybe in their sandwich or you could do, you could make it into a dinosaur shape. You could make, if you eat a bagel or maybe, um, some kind of uh, pita bread and you can make like a crab or something, a sea creature out of it. Because then it'll, it adds excitement. Adding colour to lunchbox as well is good. And maybe having something that you definitely know that they will like in their lunchbox too. Now they say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So I find that my kids are quite good now in the morning. They'd have the Weetabix or the porridge. So they are quite full going to school. And then when the break time comes along, well, they might not actually be ready for something to eat. And they they have two breaks now at the moment. The little break and the big break, I think they call them. So um, 
in terms of breakfast as a nutritionist, what do you advise parents to be feeding their children first thing in the morning? So it is important when when children, if you think about it, they have smaller bodies. So they have smaller stomachs. It's important to get the right size portions and not dishing out the same amount of breakfast as they, the parent would. As I say to children when I go into schools, do we eat the same amount of food as our mommies and daddies? And they usually reply, no. And I say, why? Because our mommies and daddies are bigger than us. So they need a bit more food. We're smaller, so we need a bit, a bit less food. We need knee-sized portions. So just watch that on the portion size. If you do find that, a lot is coming back in the lunchbox and if children are saying oh I wasn't hungry really uh, the stomach empties every two to four hours so if they're having breakfast at maybe around eight in the morning by 12 which is four hours later and usually they're having their big lunch around that time they should be hungry and so I suppose yeah just watching portion sizes there when it comes to breakfast and some good at breakfast ideas when it comes to I suppose the box standard cereal oats Oats are one of the best things you could have. They're full of good, soluble fiber. They're just brilliant for, especially um, other things like our B vitamins, really, really important for our energy and our metabolism. And I find with oats, there's so many things you could do with them. So perhaps if porridge isn't a runner in the family, maybe you could try doing something like overnight oats. You could do an oat bread or oat pancakes, oat muffins. There's a few recipes on our website for things like for these and foods and you can make it bake it at the weekend with with your family with your children so that they're trying it at the weekend and maybe they're they're getting involved so they're going to enjoy it more maybe they might even show it off to their classmates or their teacher and say oh look what i made the weekend if they do bring some maybe some of the oat muffins or things like that into school when it comes to other breakfast cereals in the irish market about 90 percent of breakfast cereals have added sugar so apart from oats, the other breakfast cereals that I would look at is, as you mentioned, Sharon, the Weetabix or the shredded wheat. And perhaps adding fruit to that breakfast, just to add a bit of vitamin C in the morning times, adding a bit of extra nice fiber and the vitamin C in the fruit will help to actually absorb nutrients like iron and calcium in the in in the cereal, in the milk and the cereal itself, if it's fortified. Let's talk about the breakfast cereals just for a minute, because I'd say there are a lot of children going out and a lot of adults going out every morning on a bowl of cornflakes or Rice Krispies. And it's they're not really ideal, are they, for a number of reasons? Yeah, and the main mainly being because they're low in fibre and then they're high in salt and sugars. And really, we need breakfast to fuel us from the word go. As I, again, as I say in my workshop to groups, you wouldn't put petrol in a diesel car and you wouldn't put diesel in a petrol car. So it's about putting the right fuel into, into your body, okay? As we, we put the right fuel into our car and about having the fuel in the first place as well. Because again, if we don't put any petrol or diesel in our car, we're not going to reach our destination. Breakfast is so important when it comes to getting our micronutrients. So really, really important for our minerals and our vitamins. Research actually shows that children who eat breakfast on a regular basis will have about 20 to 60% higher vitamin D, your B vitamins and iron than children who don't eat breakfast. So it's really, really key. And that's and it's so important for learning and in terms of behavior and cognitive and school performance. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, why are those those three particular vitamins so important to us and to children? 
Well, for all of us, iron is very, very important for our energy and also our concentration levels. So, of course, heading off to work for the day or heading off to school for a long day, we need to be able to think and concentrate and be able to focus. Our B vitamins really important, as I mentioned, for our energy, our metabolism and also our nervous system. So really important, again, to fuel us, give us right through the day. And then vitamin D. Vitamin D has been linked to so, so many things. So it's actually now shown to benefit our mental health, our immune systems. But most commonly, vitamin D is known for to help our growth and our bones, our bone health. And again, in children, that is so, so important because they're doing so much growing. So they really, really need to be getting in their vitamin D because it's the vitamin D that actually absorbs calcium. And as the saying, as the, the song goes, them bones, them bones need calcium. Absolutely. I think we're lucky now that in this era, a number of schools, if not the majority of schools, have healthy eating policies. So I've had letters home already at the start of the year advising what should and shouldn't be in in the lunchbox. In your experience working with schools and parents, do you find that most parents do abide by those requests from schools? (laughs) It's kind of funny. Often I find that at the start of the year, a lot of families do abide by the health eating guidelines. I think probably because they've they've been reminded of them. Usually kind of the health eating policy might be sent out or reminded to parents and guardians at the start of the year. And it usually starts off quite well. But then I notice as the time goes on and you've got events like Halloween and Christmas and the treats start coming in more and more. I've been in schools where children have only been given a pack of biscuits or they come in with full-sized um, share bags of sweets. So I'm talking about a big bag that you might eat at the cinema with a few people or that you might get it for a party and share amongst a few children. I've seen them coming in in their school bags with a full bag. And really, I mean, if that's what's there for them, it's very hard to say to a child, oh, you know, that's not really, that's not really going to be good for you to eat. It's not going to be good for school because it's in their it's in their school bag. It's, it's what their parents have given them or their guardians have given them. So really, it needs to be a whole school approach. And again, it's not up to the teachers to play cat and mouse and to be patrolling the lunchboxes and telling this child to put away that or they can't have that. It needs to come from the parents. It needs to come from home. And maybe instead of having the feeling that you're slipping the treat into the bag, try and look for alternatives. Try and find what are, maybe talk to the other parents. What do they give? It might give you some ideas. Maybe ask your child, oh, what do... What does your friends, what do your friends, your classmates have in their lunchbox? And um, you can make some things at home really easy yourself, like maybe healthy flapjacks, maybe healthy um, cakes or little like muffins or um, even things like fudge. I've got a few different recipes on my Beabites Facebook that you can check out. But also even something like if you are bringing in a treat, if you just don't have time to make something up yourself, making sure that it's only a treat, which is might be the one day that it's allowed. Usually in schools, if they do have a treat day, it's usually a Friday. And a treat is a treat. It's not, it's not all the time. If something is all the time, then that's not a treat. So if they're getting it every day, then that, that doesn't really count as a treat. They're getting so used to it. And again, treat, fun-sized bar, maybe a little bag of popcorn, small bag of popcorn, something small. 
Well, let's talk specifically about the lunchbox because you have thrown out a few different suggestions there and a few ideas of what should be in it. But let's take a sample lunchbox and the the components of it. What are the different components of it in terms of fruit, veg, protein, carbohydrates, etc.? Give us a few examples there for a six, seven year old and what what they should be opening up to look at in their lunchbox tomorrow morning. Okay, excellent. Yeah, and I think, again, maybe bringing your children on board with this as well, because a lot of them will be learning about the food pyramid and about healthy eating in school themselves. So when it comes to our lunchbox, if we look at the food pyramid as a guideline, and you can get this on the Department of Health website or on the Safe Food website, you want one portion from almost every group and the last group which is our fruit and our vegetables on the bottom of the pyramid we want to have at least two portions so we want one portion of protein whether this is maybe um a meat so chicken try and try and change it up and not give kind of the, the slice of ham every day i know it can become almost a dependable in the lunchbox because you children often like it just that plain ham sandwich but really if if children are being given this every day they could actually become bored of it and eventually you're going to have to come up with something new so try and keep it varied as well adds a bit of more excitement in the lunchbox and also the world health organization has produced a report that shows that a large consumption of red or processed meats such as ham salami and pepperoni or red meats in general it can contribute to certain can- cancers such as bowel cancer. So the guidelines are no more than 70 grams of red meat per day. And one slice of ham is about 23 grams. So really it is good to change it up and get in the good healthy habit now of having different things like chicken, maybe if, especially if you do a roast on a Sunday, you could use up the leftovers, the leftover chicken in a sandwich or in a salad the next day, maybe doing something different, maybe having a pasta, a couscous. Um, if, if it is possible when it comes into the winter to have uh, make up a homemade soup and bring it in in a little flask but i don't know depends on the age of the child if they're able to able to have that i when i was in secondary school i brought soup in all winter you know when i was that bit older and so that's our protein or if you're a vegetarian or you want to have a change as well maybe doing something like eggs an egg salad um or an egg salad sandwich or something like falafel Flaffle is a good option as well. And you can get, pick that up quite easily. And sometimes children actually quite like flaffle because they're in little little small balls and they can just pick them up in their lunchbox, eat them with different, maybe carrot sticks and things like that too. So one of our protein, one, of, one from our dairy group. And again, dairy cannot stress enough. It is very, very, very important to try and get a dairy, one from our dairy group in the lunchbox. The surveys actually show that 37% of Irish girls and about 28% of Irish boys from the ages of 5 to 12 don't get enough calcium in their diet and calcium is so so important for this age group because they're doing so much growth so maybe a little a small pot of yogurt some cheese or milk and there is actually a school milk scheme which can make getting helping children to get their calcium a very convenient and affordable way so parents or schools want to look into that and um, check out the school milk scheme. So then we come to our carbohydrates, which we need from our energy. So we need one portion from our carbohydrates, which might be our bread, changing it up as well. Maybe go for a multi-seed bap or bagel or roll or wrap from time to time. Maybe you could do something like a pasta, couscous, noodle, salad. 
And then finally, we want at least one fruit and at least one vegetable. So one from every group. And as I said, the last group are fruit and vegetables. We want at least two portions from that group. I want to ask you, whenever you're talking about dairy there and cheese, where do you stand on cheese strings? There's a nice amount of calcium in them. You can tell from the texture that they are a bit more processed. But I mean, if it is if it is a way of ensuring that children are getting some calcium, they can be quite a handy lunchbox filler. You could do cheese in other ways as well. Some other ideas is maybe you could do um, cream cheese in a sandwich instead of the usual butter or um, or mayo. You could use something like a ricotta cheese and have it to go to dip into carrot sticks um, or stuffing little baby peppers, the, ba- the sweet snack peppers. They're really, really delicious. If you can stuff, if you want to stuff them with some with the cheese, maybe like a fresh mozzarella, or even if you're doing a salad and maybe adding feta cheese. So there is other ways to try and get the freshness of cheese and real cheese, that real cheesy flavour into diet. Fantastic. Well, all great advice and um, plenty of tips there for me to be implementing at home. You have said your Facebook page a couple of times, which is Bia Bites, and you're also on the internet. BiaBites.net is your web address. Neve, great to talk to you as always. And thanks so much for your time this evening. Thank you so much, Sharon. All the best. Happy and healthy eating. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to public health and clinical nutritionist Neve Arthurs from Bia Bites about how to make your lunchbox healthy and nutritious. And earlier in the programme, resident wine guru Ron Forrestal had details about his top six best selling wines. Unfortunately, no, you can't put those in the lunchbox. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now this weekend, all roads lead to Dingle in County Kerry. The and Irish Food Awards celebrate 10 years and the Dingle Food Festival is in its 11th year. As always, it's a jam-packed programme and on the line now, we've Mark Murphy from Dingle Cookery School to tell us more about this year's events. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Mark, not long now until the Dingle Food Festival. It's the 11th year and another great lineup of events. Yeah, that's right, Sharon. So we're pretty much ready to go. We're in our 11th year. Um, so just ready to go, but with a packed lineup again this year, right across the board again. One of the highlights for me at the Dingle Food Festival has to be the Taste Trail. For somebody that maybe hasn't experienced that, just describe it for us and, and how it all works. The taste trail itself, what it is, like if anyone knows Dingle, it's got a small network of streets, which makes it really good. So we have about over 70 locations on the taste trail. And what happens is you buy a book of tickets. That book of tickets costs twenty two uh, fifty, 
And basically, you just go around sampling food right around the town. So in one place, you could be having some local beer. In the next place, you could be having a little bit of a fish uh, dish. You could be moving on to some beef, some glass of wine. And it works out around €2 Euro a tasting. But pretty much for the weekend, you're eating your way slowly around the town. A great way to taste some foods that you've maybe not had an opportunity to have before. For example, the kangaroo skewers. Yeah, that's always one of the favourites, uh, the kangaroo skewers. He's been there since we started. But each and every year, we, we see that the competition in the actual, what people are offering, really they're really putting a lot of effort into it. Each year, more and more effort. And again, for any of your listeners that's never experienced it, it's such a social event because you might be in the queue to uh, sample something and you're going to some of your friends are going to join you and you're going to move around and stuff and also it's a great way to get into new places so there might be a restaurant there that you've never been in but you never even had a chance to stick your head in the door and have a look around so now you have a chance to get in and meet them and maybe taste some of their food or have a glass of wine or whatever it is but really good and it definitely is it's one of our highlights of the festival itself Sharon. No festival would be complete without a market and you have a market that goes on for a number of days during the the weekend. Yeah, that's correct. So the festival itself runs from the Friday the 29th, uh, Saturday and then the Sunday, which is the 1st of October. So on the Friday is our own Dingle Farmers Market, which runs every Friday. And then on the Saturday and Sunday, what we have then is a total of over 50 stalls. and. Pretty much they're spread out around the town. There's three sort of big locations and some of them are joined up together. But you're going to have a lot of really good stalls from around Kerry, Munster and then some parts of Ireland as well. Like each year we will get over well over 200 applicants right down to have 50 stalls. And it's quite a difficult process because there's some great people that sometimes we have to say no to, but we just might have an overlap or it could be just logistics. But like there's going to be so much great stuff from hot food to say stuff that you can take back home with you, like jams or even some apple drinks and so on. But there's a huge range of stuff there to take home. Yeah. or to sample on the day. You can easily spend a number of hours just wandering around them because they're all over the town. They're not just in one specific place, which, you know, just you're doing the trail one minute and you're doing a bit of the market the next minute. And that's all complemented then by entertainment. There's often street entertainment taking place. Yeah, so pretty much. And again, for any of your listeners who've never been there or maybe for some of your listeners who are returning like it's just the D- Dingle itself. It's such a it's a great town for a festival because no matter where you're going to go, there's going to be live music on the street. Maybe if you just venture off just away from the market, you're right into the kids area, into the town park. Maybe you're just back on the taste trail and stuff. And it's it's a weekend really. Like when we set it up initially, the whole idea of it was really just to show off what Dingle has when it comes to food and when, especially hospitality as well. And I think like no matter where you are in Dingle that weekend, you'll have this sense of a of a town working together, really trying to achieve that goal. And it is. It's it's fantastic. And it's we're now into our eleventh year and it really is. It's uh, it's one of the highlights for many people of many of the festivals and or just many of the weekends in Dingle. 
It sure is. And one aspect of it that's always very popular are the cookery demonstrations. So tell us who's taking to the stage to showcase their skills and expertise this year. Um, well, this year they talked myself into one. Usually I get over because I have so many things to do it. So I'm doing one myself on Sunday afternoon. But then I'm joined by uh, Kate Lawler from um, Cork. She's going to be doing one. We've got um, Miyazaki. He's going to be look, doing some Japanese food. And that's always a really popular one. He's going to be doing one. We've got Nikki Foley, who is a who's a chef from Waterford, but he's moved back to Dingle recently. And he's worked in places like with Richard Corrigan and stuff, Louise Brosnan, and then John Marie from Out of the Blue. So there's got something there. And the good thing about those as well is they're free. So anyone can go in and pop in and have a look and maybe learn how to, like I'm going to be cooking the, the perfect steak or... And we're going to be looking at different steaks and stuff. And so there's for anyone that just has an interest or wants to take a breather from maybe some of the taste trail or whatever, you can pop in. And like we've kept it this year to three on each day because sometimes we felt that we had too many. But now there's three and there's a good selection of different foods and stuff there as well for people to see how it's being done. This year you have a theme for the festival which is impacting on what you're you're doing in terms of events. So tell us a little bit about that. Is it it's called the Farmers Forum? Yeah, so every year we have um an event where it's it's the Farmers Forum and the whole idea of that is to really sort of encourage farmers to really know that they're also food producers. And Two years ago, we sat down with, a, and when I say we, there's myself and a few other chefs like Martin Bielan from Global Village. And then uh, people from, say, the likes of John Benny's uh, bar and restaurant. We sat down with a couple of farmers like Colin Murphy. And we, they were, were between all of us, we were able to encourage a few younger guys and girls to, who at the time would have been in school and in transition year, to maybe buy some cattle that we could start looking at having a project in Dingle, which is uh, really looking after the beef and llamas from here. So we're lucky to say that we're now where we are with that pilot project. It's two years in and we now have the first animals ready for the festival. Festival, And with that, like the kids themselves, they're now looking after the project. So they initially would have went to the credit union and got a loan. And from the credit union, they would have bought some cattle and we've tried to include that in a few different places on the taste trail this year. But also those guys themselves are going to be cooking up some of their own burgers and stuff at the festival. But there's also a chance that you can buy some of the meat from them. And it's really an example to highlight that they're farmers that can also, they're food producers. And if they can see the product from the start to the finish. And so far it's been very successful, even though we've only launched it. And so for a lot of it is the team. And on Friday night, if anyone is coming down, they're more than welcome to come to the Farmers Forum. And that's where there's going to be a little bit of more information about it. But it's also, we're going to be looking at solutions. We've got some great speakers coming down to maybe help us. How do we set up a co-op? How do we encourage more farmers and so on um so that's something that if anybody has an interest within their family or anything like that or anything to offer it's a great place to come on the friday afternoon that sounds like quite a novel and a different type of event to have as part of a food festival it's not something that i've come across before is is it unique to the dingle food festival um, well, I think when we started early on in the years, we always tried to have some sort of farmers forum, and it has been quite unique. And it's we've uh, 
there's been loads of different themes and topics over the years of really just how to look at how do farmers get involved more that it's not just say oh it's a group of chefs or someone from restaurants or cookery school or whatever that's just driving this thing that we want we want everybody but that the farmers are our sort of future and especially the younger generation and other years we would have looked at maybe having uh fishermen involved and stuff as well but this year especially with the project with the younger guys like and there's probably a lot of your listeners out there who have maybe come from a farming background or whatever and maybe their kids or whatever are very interested and like I was saying, anyone is welcome to come to this event. It's at eight o'clock on Friday evening. Again, it's a free event and there's a list of speakers coming to it, but it's usually well attended and usually a lot comes out of it. So we're hoping from the end of this that we'll have maybe a little bit clear ideas of how to set up a co-op, how to work maybe with stronger with the chefs and farmers and so on from that. You're talking there about families and young children being involved with the farm and this festival is a very family friendly festival. You have lots of different activities and events there specifically for children and it has to be said sometimes you do come across children there that have never been near a farm or have seen animals up close and personal and that's something that you make happen in Dingle. Yeah, like we every year we try to put more and invest more and make our kids' activities better than they were the year before. And this year again we've done that. And one thing we've done is we've brought um we've we've got a farm, a guy from uh, County Mead, Matarat's uh, farm, and that's uh, himself like he's got this great farm, it's fantastic. He's gonna have a selection of there's going to be I think there's over uh, 15, 20 different animals from turkeys, calves, uh, pigs. And for every kid, it's going to have a chance, regardless if you grow up in a farm or whatever, to come and ask questions, go and be little workshops around it. and But they can get to see the animals. And within that enclosure where, like in the town park, it's just in, in the centre of Dingle itself, there's loads of kids' activities there. There's from a falconry, there's a bricks club, uh, face painting, and again, our focus is on all of these events are free. So we want it. Our festival is is we want to include everyone we can. But there's also an incredible festival by Jacinta Dalton uh, from GMIT, and she's doing Where's Dory? It's a children's seafood workshop. And within this, we're we're going to have a selection of fish where um, children get to work with the fish and get to identify the fish and maybe even put together a little salad and stuff like that. Again, all free events, but. One of the big things I would see as a success of the festival, and I know this from being involved for so long, <clears throat> each year more and more children are actually getting more involved in the taste trail. So they, as they're walking around, they're the guys walking around with the map and the little booklet going, I want to go to number 54 and taste what's a brisket of beef or wow, there is a new product here. And every year you're seeing more and more kids with their book marked and dotted out and saying like, I want to go taste this. What's this and stuff? To me, that's it's a really good way of the future of sort of helping younger the younger generation really taste some of the foods that we have, not just in Dingle but just in Ireland itself. 
Absolutely. It is a great opportunity, as you say. And the reason I mentioned the kangaroo skewers earlier on is because whenever my now six year old was two, she was eating away at that in the buggy, quite happy out. I don't know now if I told her in a couple of weeks time here, have a kangaroo skewer that she'd be so keen to eat it. She has been so transformed into that awkward child that won't eat what you want them to eat now. But I mean, it was great while it lasted. And the other side of it, it might be a case of it's not in your own home and you're not, now it seems like it's more fun, it's outside and everybody else is eating different food and stuff. So, And that's a really good thing about it because it's so sociable that everyone feels that they should and it's only rightly so, get involved. Well, for you then personally, what are the three highlights for you this year? What are the three events not to be missed? Um, definitely, as we had said before, like stuff like for anybody, whether you're just a veteran coming to the festival at this stage or not, the taste trail is a must. And for any of your listeners, the best thing to do is just get down early and get yourself a program and you just go through it, open out and figure out what do you want to eat? Uh, what is it that you'd like to try and so on? And that's, it's a novelty regardless. And it's for everybody. So that's definitely the highlight. Um, I think then as well, and I know I haven't, there's so many things that we haven't spoke about. There's some incredible workshops and the workshops, again, they do one of the only things that we charge for, but they are a low price. Something like learning how to keep bees. It's a fantastic workshop that the local beekeeper society do. And they'll give you all the information that you ever need to, um, to if you're interested in having bees and so on. And then probably the other thing that you can't miss or then that shouldn't miss is the entertainment, the actual street entertainment, whether some of it's on the street or then the entertainment in the bars and stuff. And everybody's going to leave Dingle that weekend having a positive experience, whether it's they've tasted some new food, they've met friends, they've had a nice glass of wine here or there and stuff. And that's the big thing that I love seeing every year, that everyone leaves having just after having a great time. Well, it is always a great festival. I, for one, am very much looking forward to it. I really appreciate you taking the time this evening to tell us about a number of the different events happening and best of luck with it, Mark. Thanks very much. And then just to end up, I'd like to say that for anyone that wants details on it, it's on our website. So that's uh, www.dinglefood.com. And we'd love to see you there. And we hope to see you there as well, Sharon. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Mark. Great. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So a great lineup of events taking place in Dingle this weekend for the Food Festival and best of luck to the finalists in the Blossner and Irish Food Awards. I look forward to hearing who lifts gold in their category and indeed the supreme champion. If you're not off to Dingle, you might be interested in one of the Pig Town events taking place in the Limerick Strand Hotel this Thursday, the 28th of September. It's the Pig Town Nose to Tail French Wine Pairing Dinner and all the details are on strandhotellimerick.ie. Great value at four. so well worth a look there. And there's events taking place in Limerick City and County all through September and October. Check out pigtown.ie. And Culture and Chips is back on Saturday, October the 14th. And this year's theme for this quirky food festival, which celebrates the food heritage and culture of the city, is Eat in the City. And it wants to encourage people to eat in the city and experience all it has to offer. So people will be able to enjoy all of this in the surroundings of Georgian Limerick as the festival returns to the Crescent on October 
O'Connell Street in Limerick City. And foodies will be able to savour Limerick's best food with a range of food demos and tastings from a host of the city's restaurants and food producers. And food businesses from across the city and county are being encouraged to take part. And if you're interested in exhibiting, check out cultureandchips.com. So that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thanks so much for listening in and to my guests, Ron Forrestal, Neve Arthurs and Mark Murphy. Until next week, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon Appetit.